Well, so far, um, we have talked about the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about love. We've talked about joy. We've talked about peace. We've talked about patience, actually, twice. And today, we're going to look at two aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at kindness and goodness. And kindness and goodness are really two different sides of the same coin. They're synonymous with each other in some respects. Kindness is uh, the sincere disposition of the heart for the well-being of others. And goodness is the activity that advances that well-being. So to say it in another way, goodness is kindness in action, as the Greek is rendered in the biblical text. And as I started to think about this, I started to think about a friend of mine. If you go ahead. This is a friend, uh, Chris, Chris Antonick. Chris was, um, me and him were in First Force Reconnaissance Company together. We were, we were in the same platoon. And Chris loved being a Force Reconnaissance Marine. He had um, come from another unit, and being part of First Force Reconnaissance was, was like where you wanted to be. It was, it was, a, it was a place where, um, the elite Marines would go, and he really strived to get there. And once he got there, um, and he, he experienced this sense of acceptance in the community, and it manifested itself in, in ways by treating his other team members um, good. And he would, he would volunteer for things that nobody wanted to volunteer for, and he was always the first to volunteer for those, those things. I didn't know Chris very well, but one thing that stuck out to me was just how much he loved to do good to his team members because he felt so accepted in the community. And it was just done in everyday tasks. And for us as Christians, we have been saved, we have been accepted and shown, shown God's kindness in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new life of doing good for the glory of God. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Titus. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I just want to give a little bit of context about Titus. We don't go into Titus that much. Titus is written by the Apostle Paul to Titus. Um, Titus is one of Paul's protégés. And so Paul leaves Titus in Crete. And we, we see the mission that Titus is given by Paul in verse chapter 1, verse 5 of Titus. He says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So, Churches are popping up all over the area, and a lot of house churches are, being pop are popping up in Crete. And so there needs to be some organization there. So Titus is sent and left by the Apostle Paul to organize the church and appoint leaders to the church. But conditions in Crete were not that good. You've heard the term, stop being a Cretan. That was, that was uh, coined after those in Crete. We read a little bit about that in um, chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. The Apostle Paul says, For there are many rebellious people, speaking about the, the, the Cretans, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain, one of Crete's own prophets, prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharp, sharply. 
so that they will be sound in faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and conscience are corrupt. They claim to know God, but, they, they, but their actions, with their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing, for doing anything that's good. So basically he's like, listen, these people are pretty messed up. They don't like God. It's a very difficult situation. And so here's the deal, Titus. I'm going to leave you in this area, and I want you to tell these people to do good. That's his task. That's the condition. And for us, it's the same way. We're called to do good no matter what the conditions are in Christ. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time as we dig into this. Father, we come to you and we just pray that you would enlighten us with your Holy Spirit. Teach us the things that we do not know. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing we see is that fruitful goodness is mindful kindness in the name of Christ. We are called to be others-focused and continually sensitive to how we might meet the needs of others around us, just like Jesus did. And we see fruitful goodness is ready to do good in any content, any or every context. We see verse 1, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready, to be prepared for immediate action, to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. So Paul's telling Titus, hey, tell these people that are in Christ to be good to those around them that that are, it's a very difficult situation to be. But tell them to be good in every context. And the fact is, is we're called to be a model of goodness in every sphere of life in order to make Christ attractive. You know, when you are a recon marine, it's a way of life. You're not just a Marine, a recon Marine, while you're in uniform and then outside you act like a total different way. It's, there's a certain ethos that you walk. And as Christians, we cannot compartmentalize our lives in doing good for Christ versus our, our life at work or our life at home or our life in whatever. Christ doesn't allow that. It's a way of life. And in every context, we're called to do good in the name of Christ. We see fruitful goodness is ready to do good in every way. He says, to be ready to do whatever is good. He's not saying, wait for these great opportunities to do what is good. He's like, just do good in everyday things during the course of life. Just do good in, in, in everyday things. We come across these things. It's real easy to open the door for someone, and you think, well, that's not a really big deal. Yeah, there's not going to be a huge fanfare for you, but you're doing good. It's called a way of life. Don't wait for that one moment that you're going to be recognized. He's like, just do good in every way. We see fruitful goodness is ready to do good to everyone. He says, be gentle toward everyone. He doesn't say, be gentle to only those Christians that are in your community. He's like, be gentle to everyone. Not just your own tribe of people. We must remember that Opportunities for doing good to others are not interruptions in God's plan for us, but are part of his plan for us. We always have time to do what God wants us to do. 
Now some of you are saying, that sounds great, Brian, but I feel tested on that every second of every single day. And I hear you. Listen, this last week, I'm getting ready to leave the church, and I'm like, I'm going to leave early. Eric and I had this, we're just going to have dinner at home, it's going to be quiet, it's going to be great. And so I decide, you know, I'm going to take my normal way home on 125. You're laughing. <laughs> and so I leave our Andover campus. It normally takes me 15 to 20 minutes to get to Bradford. An hour into the ride, I finally get to why I'm sitting in bumper to bumper traffic. It's because they did the construction on the 125 and shut it all the way down about 200 feet before the, my little street that I go off on. And I think, well, of course they have to have some sort of like direction thing, right? Of course not. I have to go around in a circle and go all the way back, so then I go down the side street and I'm in traffic longer. Hour and a half later, I'm home. And I'm sitting there and people are cutting in front of me and I'm starting to get that thing where I'm like, you're not getting in front of me. I've been waiting here for an hour. <laughs> if I get one car ahead of you, that's better than, than, than letting you in. I'm like, what are you doing? We're tested on every single day. Just going down the street, you're laughing because you thought the same thing. <laughs> and I was just like, come on, city of Haverhill, get it together. So, <laughs> so we need to be ready to do good to everyone. Let people in, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we see fruitful goodness is mindful of our own human depravity. See, there's a heart motivation here. You can only do good to people if you're understanding you're mindful of your own human depravity. Verse 3 says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, dece deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And in order to be others-focused and do good like Jesus, the disposition of your heart must be humble and not prideful. That's the heart motivation here. You could do good and go through the motions, but it means nothing to God. It's dirty rags unless your heart is right. And that only happens when you realize that the cross is the great equalizer, folks. As we stand in front of the cross, we're all sinners in need of grace. I can remember this really coming home to me in 2004. I was on the Syrian border. I was on this um, we were doing some stuff on the Syrian border, and uh, and I we had to kind of hang out at someone's house in this little village, and so I was on the roof of this this house for a few days, and I had this idea of of the people. I was just like, these people are all just messed up. These people are messed up. And then about two days into it, the person came up that we were occupying the house, and they were giving me food. They were giving me tea. And I thought, wow, these people just, they, have, they, just, they just love me. I'm like taking over their house. And I just realized, like, my heart's not in the right place here. I'm trying to serve them. And that only happens when I realize that I'm not better than them. And so the cross is the great equalizer. We're all, sinner, we're all sinners in need of grace. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So I have to ask you, who... Where or what is God calling you to be mindful of so that you can do good in the name of Jesus? There's someone on your mind right now. There's a situation right now that you're thinking, you're like, I could do good. 
I'm not talking about these big things. I'm just talking about these little things. Who is that? What is that? Where is that? So that's the first thing. Second, we see fruitful goodness is a response to the merciful kindness we experience in Christ. The fact that we are even capable of doing good as God defines good is because of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Do people do good apart from Christ? They do good actions. But do they do, do it for the right reasons? What's the response for it? What is, it, what, what, is it? what is the heart motivation behind it? For whose glory? For what purpose? We see fruitful goodness ultimately is rooted in God's kindness. Titus 3, 4 to 7 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. We can't earn our grace. We can't earn God's grace. We can't earn our salvation. It's an eternal gift. I'll flip back to, real quick, to Ephesians 2. I just want to look at a couple things. Ephesians 2, 6 through 9. says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us up with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Here's the thing. We're not lovable in and of ourselves. You can't earn your salvation. God, for whatever reason, because of his goodness, because of his kindness, because of his mercy, chooses you. And he saves you. And he gives you this eternal gift. And he doesn't just show this kindness one time. We read it in here. It's eternal kindness. He wants to lavish it upon you in Christ forever and ever. That's the good news of eternity in Christ. It's just this increasing intimacy of God's love, continuing, continuing kindness forever and ever and ever. It never stops. We see that fruitful goodness is experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit initiates this. The Holy Spirit takes our broken and, and hardened hearts and He renews it. It's a rebirth. We're given new hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And once He does that, we put our faith and trust in Jesus. He then indwells us and commissions us for His work by His power. We see that fruitful goodness is sacrificial. We continue on the verse. Whom He poured that word poured means without restraint. We've been given God's spirit without restraint. It says he poured out on us generously or ample degree through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We see that true goodness is self-sacrificial. It's sacrificial. And it's going to cost you something. Tomorrow we celebrate Memorial Day. I had mixed feelings about this. I generally don't say Happy Memorial Day. I don't know, it's just me. I'm kind of, it, it just, I personalize it a little bit. But what it does remind me of is sacrifice. When we read this, we see that freedom costs something. And our eternal freedom costs something in Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior died. He was born and he lived a righteous and perfect life. And what did they do? They crucified him. 
And he's on the cross. And it's the physical pain. And I say this every week. It's the physical pain. But it's more than the physical pain. It's the first time that he feels sin. The spotless lamb feels sin. The eternal son feels sin. And it's the first time that he feels the wrath of the Father. The wrath that we deserved. And he dies. But three days later, he's resurrected. Thus proving that it was an acceptable sacrifice. And when we put our, our faith and trust in him, we have freedom, eternal freedom. But it costs you something. So doing good costs you something. We see that fruitful goodness is emboldened in hope. Verse 7 says, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs. The hope, not just some like fake hope, not just like I hope this happens. No, it's a for sure thing. The hope of eternal life. We are able to do good to others and take risks in doing good because we are secure in Christ for eternity. You see, a lot of times we don't take risks because we're afraid, right? You're like, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I should take a financial risk because I can lose something. We could take risks in doing good with abandon. Like, we could just go for it. We could go for it because we're secure in Christ. But here's the thing. You don't have this hope. You can't have something you don't have. Like, you, you can't experience this hope if you don't have it. And so, if you're in this room right now and you've never experienced the hope of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you today just to put your faith in him. I want to talk to you right after. We have a prayer, uh, our prayer team afterwards. I'd love for you to pray with them and talk with them. Finally, we see that fruitful goodness is all for the glory of God. Verse, 15, verse 5 says, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Just as Jesus Christ poured out His blood on a cross for us, and poured his spirit on us. We are all called to pour out our lives in doing good for the glory, his glory, not our glory. This is the heart motivation thing here. Why do I do good? Do I do good for me? Do I do good so people can see it? Do I do good so I can go ahead and put my name in the newspaper, or I can put my name on a website, or I can put my name on a plaque, or what do I do good for? Is it for me or is it for the glory of God to make him famous? There's a heart motivation here. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying it's about heart motivation. Why do you do what you do? Doing good is a response. It's a vertical disposition of what God has done for us on the cross and the love and goodness in Jesus Christ. And when we get this, we experience something. When we, when we, when we do good for the glory of God, we experience something. We experience this joy, this satisfaction, this security. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It isn't just like, I guess I'm doing good for the glory. You feel something. Why? The question is why? Why do I feel something? It's because you're doing what you were created to do. I'm going to go back to Ephesians. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork. That word handiwork is the Greek word poema. We get the word poem from it. We are God's poem, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And here's the thing. 
The rhythm and the rhyme of your life was created with eternal notes of service so that you could create a symphony of praise to our Lord Jesus Christ. So how are you responding to God's mercy and kindness towards you right now? How are you responding to it? Have you experienced it? Do you experience that goodness? I'm going to invite you. I've been really pushing this a lot, but we have the seminar, First Love to Love, that's coming up. This is a big thing. I'm not just pushing it because I'm like, hey, I think this is like we're just doing it as a church. I'm pushing it because I think it's a good environment for us to really connect and know God better. We're going to be given some tools. We're going to be given some envir an environment to do that. So I encourage you to participate with that. If not, you can't make it, then just spend some time with the Lord. Rest in Him. But respond to Him. All right, lastly, fruitful goodness is missional kindness in the service of Christ. We are Holy Spirit-empowered, everyday missionaries of God for the sole purpose of advancing His kingdom in the territories that are uncharted by His kingdom. We see that fruitful goodness requires missional devotion. If you are on a mission, if you're living a missional life, it requires devotion. Titus 3 through 11 says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote. And that word devote means with zeal. Devote with zeal. It means be all in themselves to doing what is good. One thing I think about my friend Chris Antonick was he was totally sold out to being a Marine. He was totally sold out to being a recon Marine. I mean, that guy, he looked apart, he walked apart. He was sold out to the mission. And I can remember many times he would, one of the things you never want to take is when you do a, a reconnaissance patrol is you never want to be the point man. Because depending on where you're at, first you're the first guy in your little formation. So if you're point, you're, generally going to be the first guy who gets shot at. If you're in the wilderness, you're going to be the first guy that's breaking all the brush so that the rest of the team could go in. It's a really selfish job. It's a scary job, but he always took it. He, he's like, I love this. I'm going to do that. He was all sold out. And us, those that have been enlisted in the service of Christ, are called to be sold out as everyday missionaries. But this requires devotion and zeal to do good. And this devotion and zeal is only possible if the disposition of our hearts is one that trusts God and his missionary plan for us. One that has strong confidence in God's missional plan and purposes for our lives. I can remember that we were on a patrol. Chris was on the point, on point man. We were up in the Sierra Nevada doing some training. And our team leader said, hey, I want you to go on this way, Chris. And this way was a way that no one had ever went before. But it was faster. And it made more sense. So Chris like, okay. So he just listened. He trusted the plan. As he's walking, all of a sudden, he just disappeared. Like, where did Chris go? Well, he had fallen into quicksand, or I don't know what you call it, but he's in this, there's this hole, and he just fell right into it. The only thing that was keeping him up was his pack. And we lifted him up. He, he survived. We found a new path. We kept on going. But it cost him something. It cost him his security. But it allowed us to find a better route in, in unknown areas that we never had been before. And God does that with us. We have to trust him. We see fruitful goodness requires a missional focus 
Verse 9 says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and are self-condemned. I love being a recon marine, but one thing about if you're in a community like that, a special forces or a community like that, you have people that really don't like you. We call them haters. They're, they're haters. They're like, you guys just think you're so cool. And we're like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. But, <laughs> but people I remember in Iraq would just hate us. They would just be like, oh, we hate you. But here's the thing. They needed us. They needed us because we were the ones that were going out every night ensuring that our base would not get attacked because we'd bring the fight to the enemy. And people, as we go and we're sent out as everyday missionaries, might not respond to us well. They might be haters. John 15, 18, this is the words of our Lord. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. We must remember that we are called to walk in the steps of Jesus and do good no matter what the cost. No matter what's being said about us. Because here's the thing, people need the goodness of Christ whether they know it or not. And we're called to bring that goodness to them. And as we do, we must remember that fruitful goodness requires missional excellence. Paul writes, these things are excellent, praiseworthy, and profitable, or enhancing the well-being for everyone. We're not called to go through the motions when we do good works. We're called to do it excellently because we serve an excellent God in every context of life. And wherever we are, the kingdom of God occupies that enemy territory. Wherever we are, culture should change. Let me say that again. Wherever you are, culture should change. Because the kingdom of God has just advanced in that uncharted area. Something should change. Something should be different. Last week, I commissioned you. As everyday missionaries of God, I had you stand up and I commissioned you. So let me ask you, how's it going? How's it going? I want to encourage you on this. That you have been given a purpose. You've been given an identity in Christ. You've been given power by the Holy Spirit. And you have been given a mission. You lack nothing for this task. Nothing. In 2010, around September time, I was in Afghanistan. My days of being cool and enforced recon were long gone. Almost a decade removed. I was um, an officer, a communication engineer at the time, and I was at a place called um, Camp Leatherneck in Afghanistan. And I, as I was there, someone came into our compound, an old friend of mine, and said, his name was Cliff, we served together in the same platoon that Chris and I served. And we just started talking, we were just chatting. And he said, hey, um, I found you because I wanted to tell you something. I said, yeah. He said, um, Chris, Chris Antonick died. And I said, what? He said, yeah, he died. Um, I wasn't sure if you were aware of it. So this was um, from the little thing from, um, from the website or from when, when he died. This is the conditions. It says, on July 11, 2010, Staff Sergeant Antonick was conducting a cordon and search mission in Hyderabad, Helmand Province, Afghanistan, in order to tie the population 
into a greater construction project in the area. So Chris was leading this patrol. And the whole point of the patrol was to bring water and infrastructure to these locations in Afghanistan. He was leading this element, as he always did. He always liked to take points. He was leading this element and partnered Afghan forces, so he brought the Afghan uh, forces with him on a foot patrol when he was killed by an improvised explosive device. Staff Sergeant Nansenik's personal decorations include the Bronze Star with the Combat V, Purple Heart, even Marine Corps Achievement Medal with a Combat V, two Combat Action Ribbons, and three conduct, Good Conduct Medals. And Chris died doing good for others. So this time tomorrow, you're going to have a day off. You're going to be enjoying a barbecue, perhaps. You'll be with friends and you'll be with family. But I just want to encourage you, I want to ask you just to reflect on the sacrificial goodness that men and women like Chris have expressed with their lives to ensure our freedom. And then once you get there, I want you to think about what Christ has done, what he sacrificed, so that we can have eternal freedom in him. And after you think about those things, I want you to ask yourself, how can I do good to others in my everyday? And I don't want you to wait, because God's going to bring something to your mind right then and there. I want you to do it. Don't waste time. Just do it. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your kindness to us. The kindness that you've shown us in your Son and what he's done on the cross. We thank you for the goodness of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that as we are called to be good to others, that you would protect us, protect our hearts, protect our minds, give us boldness. May we do this not for our glory, but for your glory alone. Because this is about you and only about you. So we pray for these things and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.